This is The A. I'm Reg Clay. And Norman G. This is The A, where we talk about life in the theater and the theater of life. Yay. <laughs> As always, we are sponsored by Central Works, a new play theater headed up by Gary Graves and Jan Zweifler. Central Works, reinventing theater one play at a time. As always, we want to thank Central Works for sponsoring The A and our wonderful consulting producer, Mallory Samara. And um, we have a fantastic guest, Madeline Puccioni. Puccioni, am I pronouncing that correct? Yes, you are. You fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> no, not quite. Uh, you are a, uh, I'm going to call you a veteran playwright. I mean, you've been around for a while with a Playground and also with a Play Cafe. Play Cafe, Playground. Uh, I, I have a theater in L.A. I belong to called Town Street Theater. That's no, right. Uh, yeah, so I yeah. guess I could call myself a veteran playwright. <laughs> and you have a published uh, work, which is, I mean, you know, when you every time you're published, that is fantastic stuff. Uh, the play is called, I'm reading, um, Piercings. Piercings, right. And Next Stage Press uh, has published it. So that's fantastic feat. So uh, congratulations to you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. All righty. Well, as we begin, as I begin uh, our all of our podcasts, Norman, how's your week? Yeah. Uh, so this week I start uh, the Eugene O'Neill uh, Summer the, Retreat. The Barn. Eugene O'Neill Foundation Summer Retreat. The barn. And I'm just a little nervous about getting everything together. There's always that sense of, I don't know, wanting, you know, you, I don't know. With any a big event, there's all, you know, the, all the possibilities just become overwhelming. And so that's, that's what I'm sitting in right now. It's kind of like, uh, it looks like, like I woke up this morning and I checked my email and there's nothing urgent that I have to deal with and everything seems to be on track. And I'm like, okay, what else am I supposed to do? I just, I'm, I'm you know, I'm just on the edge of freaking out. <laughs> yeah, this is unusual for you because you've done this many, many times. This is probably what your fifth, sixth, seventh year doing uh, Eugene O'Neill? I think it's the fourth. Um, I think I started in se so 17, 18, 19, didn't get to do last year. So this will be my fourth summer. And then we also do a spring just a one or two day um, retreat in the spring. Um, so yeah, I guess I've been doing it for a minute and it's just, everything is COVID, you know. <laughs> we need to make COVID an adjective. It, it just needs to be the, the. all you have to do is say COVID and everybody goes, oh, okay, I know. Yeah, exactly. Mean. Or but Delta. We have half the number of students that we would normally have. And so that's gonna change things. And Leticia Duarte is going to be my writing instructor on yeah, this. Yeah, that's so right. We were talking about that. Yeah, that's fantastic. A, a new experience. Yeah, that'll be cool. And I mean, it's it's not your last, it's not your, you know, first um, horse ride, whatever they call, whatever the pun is. But um, so I don't know, you know, the nervousness, I guess, with, you know, with COVID, everything is up in the air, but um, should be fine. Hopefully it'll be a wonderful well, experience for the kids. One thing I checked last night was to see if all of the students are vaccinated. And I think I've gotten a positive from almost everybody. There are two sisters that are in. And so the mom was really good about giving all the information for one sister. Like I didn't get everything. I didn't get that one. I didn't get that. And I didn't get if she has any dietary restrictions. And I'm like, okay, I guess I, I need to ask. I need to find out. But yeah. Yeah. Know, these are minor <clears throat> problems. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, once you're in it, you know, once you finish the administrative stuff, you can get into what you love to do is teaching and yeah. the students can learn. And, you know, that'll be very, very cool. Well, and that's exciting. Uh, the play that they that the foundation is doing this year is Beyond the Horizon, which was written in 1921. 
And um, I'd barely even ever heard of it. So I looked it up and I'm reading it. And it is fascinating from a, from a teaching point of view, it is particularly fascinating because it seems pretty obvious. It's a love triangle. Like the first scene ends with, oh, you love me? I love you. Well, let's be together. Okay. And I'm like, wait a minute. What about the brother? That's wow. Y'all just set that up at the end of the first scene. And the end of the second scene, the brother says, so you were going to go away, but now you're in love with her. So you're going to stay. So I'm going to go away. Yeah. Like, Whoa. Okay. And so the challenge of it's real easy and obvious on the page where this seems to be going. And so your challenge as an actor is to make sure that you keep the other possibilities alive. Otherwise, your audience is going to do like you do. Oh, I know where this is going. Oh, this is going to be bad. No, you've got to keep that hope, that possibility that it could go some other way active so that if it does go where you thought it was going to go, it isn't just a given that, you know, that you really do understand that the characters have options. Yeah, you can't telegraph things. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, there have been some um, little bit of current events. Um, I guess the biggest thing is the Delta variant. And, you know, we were celebrating, oh, great, we're open now and we can go to places. And now a couple of counties, you know, even um, around the Bay Area are suggesting, you know, to wear your masks indoors. And yep. geez, I'd hate to go through this again. I mean, just, I don't know if this is just going to be the new normal. I mean, um, I, I just absolutely hate I even had to go through something with my HR person at my day job. I work for the district attorney's office and we have this um, online portal where we prove that we're vaccinated. And I did that and it didn't pick up. And I was like, listen, I really don't wanna wear a mask and I've been vaccinated since March. And finally she agreed to it, but I don't know with Delta, this, I mean, does Delta worry the both of you? Oh yes, yeah. Because even folks who are vaccinated uh, can get sick. And right and we vaccinated folks can also give the disease to somebody else. So That's right, we can be carriers. It's yep. very unpredictable, yeah. Yeah, I, I wasn't, I'm not, it isn't the Delta that specifically worries me. It is what it represents, that we aren't clear. Um, people think, oh, I'm vaccinated and therefore we're moving forward. And it's like, no, the air is still full of the virus. The virus, you may as well just assume the virus is here and it's around us. And if we all start gathering again, those unvaccinated people are going to give that a chance to even mutate further. So that to me is as worrisome as the Delta strain is, that to me is even more worrisome that what we're proving is this virus is not going to give up without a fight. And if we don't really shut it down, it's just going to find a new way to go. And that I think is going to happen. I, I you know, people say, well, if that happens, I'm like, no, 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 that, that's going to happen. It's, so yeah. I've got no, my mask up already. <clears throat> yeah, no, no, I totally hear you. And folks, for goodness sake, please get vaccinated. I mean, you know, Biden is just pleading with people. It's, it's a shame that people, well, obviously from the right wing are blaming Biden. Well, you know, people aren't getting vaccinated. You know, what are you going to do about it? It's like he can't, he can't force people, can't put people at gunpoint and say, listen, you are going to get vaccinated or else. He can only make the vaccines available. And to plead with people, please get vaccinated. So that's all you can do. Um, I forgot to mention last week, so it was the 75th wedding anniversary of Jimmy and Rosalind Carter, the oh, oldest okay. living uh, president. Um, yes. It's, it's hey, that, that's fantastic. I mean, you know, 
his legacy aside, you know, people get on him because it's like, well, you know, he was a soft president and he, you know, the 444 days of, what was it, the, um, the hostage crisis. I'm sure we all remember that. Well, but, the, but it was also, wasn't it Tip O'Neill? Wasn't he the Speaker of the House? Yeah, I believe so, yeah. Um, and they just said, they basically said what Congress is saying now, we're not going to work with you. We don't care about what yeah. you want. Yeah. And so yeah. he was fighting, even though it was his party, he was fighting Congress the whole time. Yeah, well, that's what happens when you're a dark horse candidate. And, you know, people are butthurt because, well, you got elected and not Ted Kennedy or someone right. else. And a lot of people think that if it hadn't been for Nixon and Watergate, then Carter would have never been in the picture in the first place. Oh, I, I don't think he would have. Yeah. I'm but, sorry, Matt, what were you and saying? I was bummed that I was too young to vote for him. <laughs> Matt, well, what were you saying? No, I voted for Carter, and, and that, I think he was on the whole a fine president. But, yeah, I agree. Uh, yeah, yeah, the first Democrat from the Deep South since, you know, very, very long, and yeah. the first who was not antebellum Southern racist Democrat. You know, yeah. he's right. true Christian, true and true. Yeah. So in case there's that, um, there have been a couple of race-related things. I'm not sure if we want to, you know, get into it. It's It's been interesting. We talked a little bit about uh, the whole... What is it? A uh, race theory? Uh, uh, critical What's race theory. Critical race theory. Mm -hmm. But it's interesting. So Cornell West, he has left Harvard University because uh, I guess they don't embrace, you know, what he wants to teach. Um, uh. But also Tanahashi Coates and Nicole Hannah Jones, they uh, were trying to get a tenureship at whatever colleges they were going to. I think with right. uh, Nicole Hannah Jones. Yeah. It was UNC. Now they're at Har Howard. Howard yes. right. So there's a sort of a cultural revolution going on, especially teaching race theory. And well, and so all these people are passing these laws saying you can't teach anything. You can't teach race theory. You can't teach any of that. And it's like, well, what, what has to happen in order for them to try and put this stuff in place is to actually discuss what is the history. <laughs> yeah. So the, they're trying to close the door on all this is no. opening the door on it because it has to be discussed in order to say, well, what is it you're saying I can't teach? And we, what about this? And what about that? So got to learn the truth, you know? There's and more discussion race history theory, than it's just, it's just all about learning the truth. Yeah. Uh, Norman and I were talking about a new play I'm writing about Thomas Jefferson. And if people don't write the truth about him and learn the truth about his, uh, his moment of decision and how it could have changed everything, yeah. then we are, we are, you know, we are impoverished in, and we are uh, in danger of, of um, believing the wrong things if we don't learn history. Yeah, I would, no, we're, I would, we're looking I would, at an illusion. Yeah, no, I would love to check out that play of Thomas Jefferson. You know, we, uh, it's a shame when it comes to American history, uh, you know, the public, I don't know what's happening in private school, but in the public school system, we're only getting big bits and chunks, you know, like, right. yeah. no. you know, what do they know about Thomas Jefferson? Well, we know about Sally Hemings, and even what we don't know about that is distorted. And, you know, well, he wrote, you know, the, the Declaration of Independence, and he was third president. And let's move on. And, right, exactly. You know, there's no, a lot his, more. His, uh, his story is the American tragedy. There was a moment in time when he could have changed everything. He had a, a paragraph ready for the Declaration of Independence that would have abolished uh, the slave trade immediately and eventually would have abolished uh, domestic slavery. But did he stand up for it? Did he fight the Southern delegates? Did he no. insist that it was included? No, he did not. Yeah, and that, that's unfortunate. I did read a little bit about that, but, you know, that's one of the wonderful things. I enjoy 
I enjoy writing about, you know, uh, history in, in, in play form. And I enjoy seeing it as a participant because it's another way of, I mean, you know, theater can be used for education. And, you know, as a teacher and as a director, Norman, you see this, children can either learn from these dusty old books or they can see it on stage. And I think it's a wonderful way to teach, you know, a new generation, you know, what history is all about. So, and as far as the critical race theory is concerned, yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's amazing. It, there was a, um, I don't know if you guys remember, but there was, there was a book in the South, a history book that was published in like the fifties, which totally distorted. Um, you know, it was all about the Southern cause and right. uh, the uh, uplifting the Confederate, um, the belief of, of Confederate rights. I forget what, what the state. Right. Well, states' oh. rights. It was, it was that they were trying to argue for the lost rights. cause. That's what I meant. The lost cause. Yes. And I was amazed. I was like, wow. I thought that, you know, of course I got, you know, what I would consider correct history from DC public school system. I was like, well, everyone has this type of history book that I have. Not true at all. No. So. And again, and because they're all, all, I love, they jumped to make these laws and it's like, well, okay. So you made these laws. What does that mean? And they're going to have to discuss it and they're going to get beat up. There's just no way historians aren't going to go. Well, actually, I mean, you know, the Texas Constitution <laughs> said that they were holding on to the rights of slave slave owners. That's what they were doing. Exactly. Yeah. And that's or why they, that's why they invaded um, Mexico. Uh, you know, yeah. the Texans, you know, really, it was Mexican territory. I know folks are going to be like, geez, can we talk about theater? <laughs> <laughs> but that's okay. The, you know, there were Americans who just went into Mexican territory of Texas, Tejas, when it, when it was called, and just took it over. Yep. And uh, James Polk, the 11th president, was like, yeah, let's go to war. So we can take not only Texas, but the entire West Coast. And of course, there was a thing called California that had some gold. So right. that's, oh, yeah. that was our motivation as well. But the expansion of slavery. So in any case, yeah, exactly. yeah, the history we is did, interesting. Did you mention our sponsors? I, I just saw Jan Zweifler yesterday, and hey. uh, so, you know, did you mention that we are sponsored by Central? I did at the very top, as I always do. <laughs> I think I was setting things up. Okay. No, no, no. And yeah, I, hey, Central Works is fantastic. And for folks who want to, you know, sponsor us, we would be glad to have you, and uh, we will, you know, promote whatever you're doing. Uh, I mean, we do that anyway, but you know, we'll put, take a special effort to uh, promote what you're doing. But we always welcome new sponsors. And with that, Madeline Puccioni, um, let's get an origin story. How did you get involved in theater? Where were you born and raised? Goodness me. Well, I was raised in Salinas, California, and I uh, got involved in theater probably in community college. I was, I was in some of their musicals and plays, and I thought, well, I really like writing writing plays, writing dialogues. So eventually I worked my way into uh, San Francisco State and the creative writing department. And, and I, I found that that's what I really needed to do is to write dialogue. I would, I would ride the Muni all day long and just listen to people, you know, just go to shops or cafes and just listen to people. And it just seemed dialogue was the way to, to do it all. Um, I envy people who can write novels or poetry. I can't do that. But what I can do is I can listen and I can, I can write. I'm like in the room with my characters. I love my characters. They come to me and they demand life. And I just, you know, I, I try to do my best. I live to serve. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever been on stage? Have you, were you ever an actress? No, no, no. But I've taken some acting classes. I think every playwright should take a few acting classes. I'm not great at it, but I understand what an actor needs uh, in terms of 
of um, musicality in terms of you know expressing certain things uh, with a voice that and with uh, intonation that, that can can work for them you know and I will change lines for actors if actors say well I really can't say that I'll say fine what's going to work you know? mm. yeah yeah uh, do you have any siblings I, I have an older brother and an older sister yeah oh, okay are they involved in the arts at all not really no they're uh let's see uh sharon's 86 they're mostly uh you know retired folks trying to trying to get through the day like the like the rest of us you know okay so um, it but, sounds like you're the only one who's artistic well i'm driven what can i say i i my first play was produced and published in 1980 at the magic theater and it was published in west coast plays and I thought, well, this is easy. This is fun. I can do more of this. And then I started raising a daughter and and uh, teaching uh, full time. And there was just no room for writing. So for 30 years, I just did not write at all. And then I have to be very uh, grateful to Stuart Basel and the San Francisco Olympians. I got back into that. In I think maybe seven or eight years ago, I had, I thought, now I've retired, I can get back into writing and I have a lot of time to do it. So that's what I've been up to. Cool. Um, you mentioned the 80s, I mean, 1980. I what, what was theater like? I mean, um, you know, we hear all about, when I think of the 70s going into the 80s, I think about, you know, the punk revolution and I think about, uh, at least in New York, you know, there's all sorts of energy, you know, East Coast High and- energy. Yeah. yeah. Well, Go ahead. Uh, I was in San Francisco at the time. Uh, John Lyon was the head of Magic. That oh. was like the premier theater yeah. in San Francisco at the time. And it was really great to work with him and, and a couple of other uh, folks whose names have kind of disappeared but in from my brain. But um, that, was a, that was a riveting experience. After that time, I just thought, well, someday, someday I'll get back to writing. And thanks, thanks to... Uh, a little pension and some good health care, I'm able to do that. So, Were you writing back then? I was writing. Uh, I had a couple of things produced at the Julian Theater. Do you remember that? Yes, of course I remember the Julian. I was part of the Julian for a minute. Were you really? Like 89, uh, I think, 1989. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, it was a great small theater. So yeah, I was kind of in that scene. And then, as I say, we moved out of San Francisco. So, you know, that disconnects you immediately. Right. But also I had, you know, teaching and, and, a, and a, a family to raise. So that, did, that took my time. Did you teach English? Of course I did. What else do I know? <laughs> <laughs> well, I figured it would go hand in hand. Um, and, yeah. and I'm sure, you know, you saw a whole generation of uh, students who, you know, I guess uh, could yeah, learn was, or whatever. Go ahead. I just, I was so privileged to teach community college at Los Cabanos College uh, in Pittsburgh. And uh, I did teach all, all levels of English. And I just, it was like, it was a great job. I got to do some lovely mm. things in the classroom. And I, you know, uh, but again, teaching, as you, as you know, both of you, teaching takes everything you've got, right? Yeah, well, I've only had a certain stint. I've only like maybe taught one summer school uh, when I was in and out of college. But uh, Norman, you've done that many, many, many times. I'm always interested, you know, for those who have taught for like several years, what are the generations like? Like, what's, what is it like teaching, let's say, the uh, Generation X, that would be my generation, and then teaching, let's say, the millennials, you know, like, 
are because I'm sure kids are not exactly all the same. You know, it's community college. You get all ages. Uh, you know, such a diverse group. What I love is the older students. I mean, the, the students that come back, they're, they've lost their jobs or they want to move on or what they want to retrain. And they are so open and so um, they show up, you know, they, they're so interested in, in using their education for, for a good reason. And they're great students, they're great students. Yeah, I'm sure they're a lot more attentive than the younger kids. Well, they've, they've been around the block, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and they can take that life energy in. Yeah. Um, now, here's a question I usually ask everyone. I mean, there are a lot of folks who dabble into theater. Let's say they were involved in high school plays or whatever, but it was a fleeting fancy, and then they move on with life. But then there are those who are like, you know, this is my thing. This is what's calling me. Um, what is it about playwriting uh, that, that speaks to you? Um, working with theater people, being with theater people, being with... Uh, people who are as serious about this crazy thing as I am uh, and who are interested in, in presenting a powerful emotional experience inc which includes the audience. It's audience and actor, actor and audience. Uh, to be in a production, uh, to be in the theater. God, I miss live theater, don't you? Just yeah. to be in the room with, when this happens, it's magical and it's, um, it's a way to teach, it's a way to uh, entertain, it's a way to uh, change the world a little bit if, you, if that's what you're into. And, um, and the dialogue, again, is, it's something I hear. Uh, it's like I'm in the same room with, my, with Thomas Jefferson and, and Betty Hemings and I can hear them and I, can, I know their arguments and I know how devious he is and I know how powerful she is and I could, I, I could just hear it and then I just write it down as fast as I can. It's, who can explain it? It's, but that's, that's what I do. And I figure, you know, all the sets and all the descriptions, everything else, somebody else will take care of that. Maybe I'm just lazy because all I have to do is dialogue, right? You know, well, everybody else, you know, the set guys, the costume people, whatever. You know? Yeah, but it all begins with the word. I mean, you know, if you don't have a solid script, no one's going to even bother picking up, you know, anything or putting money to it. Usually it takes, you know, someone's uh, words, uh, it's on a piece of paper or it's on a yes. word document to, you know, energize people to say, okay, we're going to publish it and we're going to or produce it and we're going to make it happen. One question that I had, and I, I asked uh, Scott Munson this, and I've asked uh, a couple of other writers like Jeannie Baroga, different voices. I found, you know, like I'm a sort of budding playwright. I'm trying to get my feet wet in, you know, write, writing and producing more things. But finding voices, like let's say, you know, let's say I'm a man, but I have to find the voice of a woman, a, a female character. I know it helps listening to other people, like you talk about listening to people in the BART and listening to other people, let's say, throughout your walk of life. Do you have other tricks in finding different voices when you write so that every character doesn't sound the same? Uh, well, they're all different, these, these characters that come to my come to me <laughs> and and yes and the the opposite of that coin is that we we as people we're all much more alike than we are different so that mm -hmm. I can write uh, a Thomas Jefferson I can write a Betty Hemings because I write human and I write the basic emotions of anger and and um, need for reconciliation 
emotions that are common to every one of us. So, so um, my, I just leap in and then people help me. I have, I have so many actor friends who will, and, you know, theater friends who will say, oh, you know, this doesn't work. Let's see if we can try something else. And I'll say, yeah, sure. And, uh, uh, but every distinct voice has, has become distinct because of rewriting, to be honest with you. Um, and, and the more you listen to them, the more distinct they become. Yeah, the rewriting process is very important. And also having writing groups and, and a group of people who yes. can be honest with you and tell you, hey, listen, this works, this doesn't work. Uh, not to get the pat on the head all the time, but to have constructive criticism. Well, you, you need you need a lot of people to say, look, that doesn't work. Try this or yeah. whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Now, speaking of that, speaking of that, I'm sure you've worked a lot with directors uh, who, you know, let's oh, say you've God, given your directors. work. <laughs> oh, God, no. Yeah, Norman's about directors. Norman knows what question I'm going to ask, but um, have you had any difficult time working with directors? There's some wonderful directors who will help you grow the piece, who will understand where you're going with it, who can understand, uh, I guess, what stage of development the piece is in. But then you have some directors who uh, they may say they understand, but you know, when you see what happens on stage with your characters, your babies, and you're like, oh my God, what's going on? Have you had um, some negative interactions with directors? I, I'm gonna step away so she can honor. <laughs> no, Norman, Norman directed a little play of mine for play, Playground. He was wonderful to work with. It was a great cast. It was, a, it was so much fun, it was called Grandpa's Chair, right? It's Norman... wonderful, I still have the jacket. I love that jacket. <laughs> Well, that's great. That's great. No, um, I have only had one, I would say, negative experience. I just, I, I wasn't being listened to. I, I don't have a loud voice. I'm not a real obnoxious person. I, I'm not a real assertive person. I will be to defend my play or to de defend my characters. But I just, I felt I wasn't being listened to. And that's, that's the only, you know, that's, but it's going to happen. And I learned from that. I just have to maybe be a little more resourceful and a little more determined to, to express myself in a different way, perhaps. Well, yeah, well, you shouldn't even have to do that. You think that in the theater world that there would be enough inclusivity, that's the word, um, that mm. you don't have to be assertive, that you know people would automatically be respectful. And that a director would at least check in and say, hey, listen, does this work? I mean, are you satisfied? Are you happy with what's going on? Yeah, you, you hope that there's this kind of reciprocal respect. and I. And 99% and of the time, that's been true. I just, I love working. What I love are rehearsals. I love rehearsals because I, I see the actors and the director kind of working to, to uh, bring the, my little, my people to life. And I'm thinking, Ooh, it's getting close. It's getting close. It's, yeah. it's the most exciting part for me. I'll, I'll bring Norman in and I'm sure I've asked you this, but I'll ask you in a different way, Norman. Do you feel a more of a fealty toward the actors? Once you get the script in hand, do you feel, and you have the, you know, let's say the, the, the writer, do you, do you lean, do you, do you go to the, do you go to the writer to say, Hey, is this working? Is this working away? Or do you not even think about the writer and just work, you know, just, focus on your craft and getting the actors ready and getting the production ready? It's, it's evolved over the years. Um, every playwright is different. Every playwright's desire and ability to be a part of the, the rehearsal process is different. And you kind of have to suss that out. On, on a certain level, 
I feel like the playwright doesn't even need to be there. Um, if the playwright wants to be there, I'm happy to have them there. And if we're getting off track, I definitely want to hear it. Um, the thing I'm most worried about with playwrights is when they want to direct. And I'm like, well, you know, <laughs> I'm asking you about what you have on the page and whether or not that works and whether or not you want to change it. What the actors are doing, that's kind of my job. <laughs> and so I find that I'm always trying to figure out that balance. Now, the thing that is most recently evolved for me in that is to see that as part of the creative process. It used to be more of an annoyance. <laughs> you know, I got to get to know this person. I got to figure out how to work with them. And I've got to, on the one hand, I've got to deal with these actors. And on the other hand, I've got to deal with this playwright. And I've started to see it all as a collaborative process and enjoy what that is. And just like you do with the actors, there are actors that are going to tell you what's going on with the play. And it's like, <laughs> I will handle the rest of the play. I just need you to figure out where you fit in it. And if you've got feedback that helps us figure that out, that's great. But um, in that same way, I've found it's way useful to get the validation from the playwright that we are. If, if things go well, to get the validation from the playwright that we're on the right track is wonderful. And then anything else is, you know, is worth dealing with just to get that validation. And if it's when those situations where, and I've had playwrights where I'm like, I, I am stretching your play to make it accomplish what I think you wanted to accomplish, but you didn't quite get it there and you're not taking the feedback. Yeah, yeah. And, and Madeline, I'll ask you this. Has, it been, has there been a learning curve, I guess, when you were first writing to accept that sort of criticism, to not jump in. I remember being a part of uh, Gary Graves' um, playwriting, the Berkeley Rep uh, School. And there were some young playwrights who really didn't have a grasp as to how theater is made. You know, they wanted to have the moon and the stars and all sorts of these things that could not possibly happen on stage where they're trapped in their own imagination, but they don't think about what's practical, what actually can be done. Um, yeah. I, I was schooled by some very strong uh, directors and ADs and um, with great respect for what I am, like Melman, have, uh, they wanted to know how I felt, da, 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 da. but they were very clear that, that their job was this and they, uh, they were on their way to doing the best job they could possibly do. I've never had a problem uh, you know, working with, with directors and, and actors. I just, I, I listen to the director. I never talk to the actors, for one thing. I never say, oh, you should do this. No, if there's a problem, I will talk to the director and he and I or she and I will, will talk about it. And there's certain protocols. It's just it's certain courtesies that around, uh, you know, productions that you have to follow. But I, honestly, I have had nothing but wonderful experiences with, with most of my Fantastic. productions. Yeah. I was going to ask you about uh, this play, uh, Piercings. What is it about? And uh, how did you, I'm sure there are lots of budding playwrights who are like, oh, wow, she got published. How do I get published? You know, <laughs> I need to get connected with new stage press. Uh, so tell us about Piercings. Okay, well, first of all, um, there are many ways for young playwrights, new playwrights to get published and produced. Go to playsubmissionshelper.com or go to, um, if you're in Andromeda Skill, they have a whole list of submissions and people, uh, theaters want to see new plays. They want to see short plays, probably more than long plays. So 
I sent this collection of lo little love stories, uh, which you know have a similar theme of love and loss. I sent it to several publishers and Next Stage Press picked it up. And now I have to reformate the damn thing, <laughs> which is gonna take me another, another few days from you know stage format to you know reading format. It's it's a whole different critter, but um, uh, these are these are little plays that uh, that have a similar theme. And some of my best plays they've all been produced hither and yon. So it's right. uh, it was probably the right time for somebody to pick it up. It would make a good little evening of theater. Not terribly uh, not terribly. Excuse me, I'm going to close the door here. That's <laughs> okay. Difficult. Hang on. That's okay. I'll, I'll talk with Norman while you're uh, dealing with that. Um, yeah, the. Um, oh, there you are. Okay. Oh, so, yeah. I... so, so piercing, is it, it sounds like it's not just one full length play, but it's a series of one act? It's an it's a anthology of, of my, some of my best. I wouldn't call them rom-coms. Is there such a thing as a rom-drom? You know, oh, <laughs> just what we need, new genres. A new genre, there you go. So a lot of them are love stories. Some of them are funny, but most of them are kind of funny and sad. I'm like Dolly Parton, you know? My favorite emotion is laughter through tears. <laughs> yeah, there you go. And it sounds like we were talking before we uh, cut the, um, the Zoom on that uh, you may want to uh, jump into um, like YouTube or it, maybe it'd be filmed or it'd be on, in video format. Would you like to have it well, produced that way? Uh, you know, everything's changing so quickly. Uh, since Zoom uh, took over and COVID and whatnot, there are so many, as you say, new platforms for, uh, for, for directors and actors for, for us to produce theater very, very uh, um, adroitly and very you know, uh, cleverly through basically a Zoom format. Uh, somebody, this little group I belong to in, in, the, in the UK, I have, I have just done a little film. It's like a five minute film, but the director was able to use special effects and, and, and great music and um, things that I don't think would have been possible maybe two years ago. So yes, the answer is yes, I wanna be a screenwriter. Yes, I would like to eventually write for Netflix and make, you know, lots of money and support all the little theaters and people I love. Wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> I want to do nice? that. Oh, I yeah. Do that. Well, I think a lot of folks have that dream, but of course you're working towards it because you're actually, you're still actively doing yeah. it. Um, I wanted to ask about your, your relationship with the Play Cafe because you've been, you've been an integral part of the Play Cafe for a while now. For a long time. I've been in Play Cafe for literally 17 or 18 years since wow. Steve, Steve Lyons was kind of the head honcho. Steve Lyons, wow. I've but heard yeah. that name before. I think Steve Lyons, if that's the same Steve Lyons, he was a part of Bay Stage, which was yep. a little company that, uh, it, I don't know if you remember Bay Stage. With, um, I remember the name, yeah. Yeah, Michael Thomas Tower headed it up and uh, I was part of that. And Steve Lyons for a hot second. We only lasted for maybe, I think the money <laughs> ran out really, really quickly. Yeah. But uh, cool, okay, yeah, so Steve Lyons. And then after that, I guess you sort of, I don't know if you took over, but I mean, are you, it sounds like you're- well, I, I'm on the board. Uh, I'm, I'm the, the president of the board. That doesn't mean I have to do anything. It just means that I let them support them. And, um, you know, do what I can to help Jamie 
Greenblatt, uh, who's done a fa fabulous job as executive director. Um, Tracy Held was once the executive director. Yep. Uh, Jerome. Um, Gentes. Gentes was the executive director. So Play Cafe is just basically, it has served playwrights for many, many years. Uh, I love meeting in our old place and I love meeting in person because you get to talk to fabulous people. And Jamie would bring in dramaturgs like Norman and Anthony Clarvo and Melissa Hillman. So you get some really good professional criticism. Uh, yeah, I want to give a big thanks to uh, Play Cafe. I mean, uh, in 2017, I brought in Foreman in Paris. And I love that a, play. What's happened to that play? <laughs> well, it's dormant now, but I mean, it. Uh, but I mean, when it had its ride, it, it really did. I mean, for the, any of those budding playwrights out there who want to give you a play produced, a wonderful, I mean, Play Cafe is a fantastic place where you can take your play, have it read by, you know, professionals, get good constructive criticism, but also it could be a launching pad for other things. Immediately after the reading, you know, of course, I had written down and I written, made the changes, and I was working as Mafico's Musical Cafe, a subsidiary of Play Cafe, and we'll talk a little bit about that. And while I, uh, one of that, my castmates, I gave a friend of hers the play, Foreman in Paris, and of course that friend was Corinne Ritchie, who runs Plethos. And Plethos yeah. says, hey, we want to produce it. It got produced at the Douglas Morrison Theater. And of course, I was absolutely thrilled. It's, it's, it's a dream of a playwright to yeah. have your stuff produced. But of course, it begins with the readings. And Play Cafe is a perfect place for that. It's a conduit. It's, it's, a, it's a way to get started is Play Cafe. And we still meet on, on Zoom. We meet, uh, well, just go to playcafe.org and you get the entire schedule. Yeah. But what, what you're talking about is two different things. Play Cafe, you can read your short scenes, like 10 minute, 15 minute right. scenes. Uh, every twice, twice, actually twice a month. There's there's two scene uh, events, but the best thing and what you got to do and what I got to do with my my musical Finding Medusa was called a table read, and uh, we only offer maybe six of those a year. But Play Cafe will pay for four actors. They'll pay for space. They'll pay for uh, a dramaturg, and uh, they'll set it up so that you can actually afford to put your own play on and invite your audience and get people there. So yeah, it's, it's a good deal. Yeah, and Norman, you've been a part of that as well. How's the, how's the experience been both as a, um, I don't know if you've directed anything at Play Cafe, but you've certainly been an actor. Um, well, yeah, the, the, the directing, it's not really, there's not a whole- Yeah, it's basically a table read. Direction because mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's very much a focus on the, on the script. Um, I've I've done more just sort of either as an actor or dramaturg. Um, I'm excited that they make a very nurturing community. It's a very safe place. So I I, I really we, appreciate we, that. We work on that. We work on that. Yeah. There are and places. I, yeah. No, yeah. I was just going to say I've been a part of several play reading. There are a lot of groups that want to do play readings, and sometimes they're sincere. They really do want your work to advance. Sometimes it's basically just a money grab. You know, they either want the bodies so that you can work on other things and they'll listen to your little play or they want, you know, money. And I'll be quite honest. It was one I actually had a conversation earlier this week with someone we were talking about a group that do play readings. And I was like, you know, as an African-American, I felt slighted. Uh, there was a woman who had a play and she felt slighted. And I was like, I'm not going to work with that group anymore. Yeah. So exactly. it's a compliment of Play Cafe 
to have your work read, read. And it is a safe environment. You know, I think there's a couple of, um, I'm not sure if there's a dramaturg or whatever, but it's an older African-American guy who um, gets- Oh yeah, yeah. I don't know Robert, of course. Yeah, Robert's yeah. on the board. Yeah, he's a Robert fine Pierce. playwright. He's, mm -hmm. he's, he's mm -hmm. you know, but, but he's been very loyal and, and he really has, he's a really good playwright. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of inclusivity, I mean, as a woman, um, let me ask, because we've asked, and we've actually heard some stories from people who have been guests on the Yay, and they've talked about some uncomfortable experience that they've had as women, you know, just being heard, or even, you know, drastic things like, I don't know, sexual harassment, that sort of stuff. Um, how has it been as a playwright and as a woman, has it been harder or easier as the years have gone on for you to be heard? Uh, as I say, I had, I've only had one negative experience uh, in which I was not listened. Nobody was listening to me. And I thought, wait a minute, I'm a playwright, you know. Uh, <laughs> I wait, hello. You know? Um, but most of it has been extremely uh, nurturing and extremely constructive. And people respect my work and I respect their work. And I just, I want, we all want this magical thing to happen. You know, and it, the best way for it to happen is in a real constructive atmosphere. So, um, I, I have, uh, well, back in when in my San Francisco State days, I think there was one asshole teacher, and I won't name him, but he was an mm. asshole, who just picked my stuff apart, and and I, I wrote, you know, here a little naive me girl from Salinas, I wrote about a sailor and a prostitute, and he says, well, I think Miss so-and-so has been around the block, you know? Oh, and I God. sat there, mm. yeah. And I cried for hours after the class, but I wouldn't fucking give him the, the uh, uh, you know, I wouldn't react. The satisfaction of the actually satisfaction seeing them, yeah. Of, of mm -hmm. reaction. No, but he was a, a famous playwright of the day. And uh, I thought, you know what, fuck you. I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna do what I do. And I'm right. gonna get there. And mm -hmm. uh, I'm, you're not gonna stop me. It's a shame as a student. Well, you were at State. That was uh, the creative writing department, right? They yeah. they were kind of separate. The playwriting. Yeah. That, that was a weird time because I remember we'd hear that there was these these playwrights, but they were not connected to the department. And I loved it when that finally that connection finally started to happen. That's right. Yeah. It's it, it evolved over the years. It, uh, but yeah. Yeah, on the whole, it was a pretty good experience. Some really good teachers. Some really good. Uh, opportunities there you know I, no, I'm, let me put on my mic <laughs> yeah um i was going to ask you about the business i don't know if you can talk about this but um because the, you know there are a lot of playwrights who you know as an actor i can negotiate with a director let's say if a director wants to hire me i can say well listen um even if i'm not equity if i know that there's an equity contract i can say hey can we work on a bat or something like that but as a playwright who's had plays on stage, how have you negotiated? How has that been? Because I think a lot of people who are budding writers, they don't think about the business part of it. Have you had, um, how is that conversation with, let's say a producer or a company? You're like, okay, you wanna produce my play, but here's how much I want. Um, how have you had to deal with that? You know, you go, you know going in, whether it's gonna be money or no money. And I, I've been, I've been paid a little bit for certain plays produced, but I know right up front, and I don't negotiate, honestly, honest goodness. They say, well, we're going to give you $250, and we will produce your play, fine. Um, 
Um, Do you ever write a contract? Well, with the publisher, I'm, I'm, uh, I have a contract, but I, I have, uh, I don't work on contract yet. I'm not, I'm, I'm not at that point yet. And, and most playwrights don't expect to get paid um, until they're commissioned, until they're under commission. Um, so I, I don't know how to answer that question because I, I work for free. I'm, I'm, no, no, I totally I mean, understand. <laughs> Norman, for someone who, you know, you, I think you regularly deal with contracts as an equity actor, but um, is it, would that be a recommendation? I mean, because you've talked with uh, Jeannie and a bunch of others. Should playwrights, you know, have a contract in hand when they work with companies? I, I really think it just depends more on, you know, who the company is and and what you're trying to get. I mean, that's it's funny because yeah. Madeline was sitting in on the uh, Play Cafe talk that I did. Um, wanting to talk to playwrights about just having reasonable expectations of what you can do, what is possible. And that way you'll have a, hopefully a more successful experience when somebody takes your play, because that's what's gonna happen. They're gonna take your play, they're gonna do stuff with it. And then you're gonna come out of that experience on the other side, kind of going now, now what, what happened? And I, I think, you know, it's, it's not a question of contract and not contract, but just knowing that they have a clear, that they've communicated to you clearly what they want to do with your place so that you have a clear expectation. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. now that makes sense. And you're absolutely right. You know, there's some companies who are like, hey, listen, you know, we're not, we don't have a lot of money. We just want to produce it. But, you know, you know, once we day, it may be ACT and, you know, you can, um, you know, you can negotiate and, you know, get as much as you can out of that. I did want to ask you about uh, your connection with Playground. How has that experience been for you? It's been marvelous. I've been a playground playwright for seven or eight years. And honestly, it is what it says it is. It's an incubator for, it's a very nurturing environment for uh, uh, emerging playwrights. I guess that's what I'd call myself now. Um, but uh, they give you a chance to write uh, one play a month uh, during the season. And sometimes you get those produced in, on playground and sometimes you don't. But it's the experience, it, it produces a lot of content. So that's one reason I have so many short plays is that I've been writing for Playground for seven years. That's like, that's a lot of, lot of short plays. Right. Uh, yeah, um, but it's been very good. And now uh, I believe Playground is in LA. Playground is, you know, Jim is- uh, Nibbling spreading, in New York. <laughs> he's spreading the empire to New York. I'm thinking, why not London, right? You know, I imagine that's next on his list. It could be. So yeah. I've, I've had, there have been so many, I guess Playground has been the kind of thing that, that looks good on a resume as well. You know, people okay. look at Playground and they say, mm, yeah, Playground, okay. Wow, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, I, that's yeah. a thing I could put on my resume. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yes. Not Dramatist Guild specifically, but as, you know, as an artist, you end up having to do your work knowing that there are support organizations that will, you know, give you. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Dramatist Guild. And that's something, and I think that's something that Jim Kleiman, he connects budding writers. When you join um, the playground, then yep. you're connected with the Dramatist Guild. And I've, su I've submitted a bunch of stuff to the Dramatist Guild, and I get all sorts of feedback from folks all over the United States saying, hey, you know, you should submit your plays and all that sort of stuff. So that's a great way to uh, to get... Yay. To get yeah. exposure. Yeah. 
One last question, uh, Madeline, and thank you so much for being so patient with us. Um, where do you see yourself in the future? I mean, uh, you already have, you know, a career as a teacher and you're, you're getting your feet wet as a playwright, but um, what do you want to do? I don't know, five, 10 years from now, uh, do you, are you, are you frustrated with Bay Area scene? Are you getting as much out of it as you want? You know, that's a good question. I would love to have a local theater connection. I'd love to be um, somebody that uh, that gets stuff done at, say, Cutting Ball or, uh, you know, custom made. I don't see it could happen because those two theaters have an open submission process. A number of theaters uh, do not. Uh, Shotgun, for example, doesn't doesn't have an open submission process. But the, the ones right. that the award uh, theaters, the big theaters, uh, Eugene O'Neill, for example. I'm my my plan right now is to to keep submitting something to these award festivals and uh, I, and get uh, get something done again. I was in the Inge Festival in 2018. I'd love to be in the O'Neill or something like that. That would sort of that would help me get an agent. That's my little step by step plan. Uh, but uh, basically, you know, theater is New York City and theater is London. Uh, I love San Francisco. I love Bay Area theater. But, um, you know, if I had, if I could be, uh, if I could expand my presence in New York City in the next five years, that would make me very, very happy. I've, yeah. I've had a couple of things that have produced. My, my uh, Thomas Jefferson Monticello 2020 the first scene of which was produced in New York City, virtually in March. Which, you know, so I've met I've met a director, I've met some actors in New York City. So, it's like everything is a very tentative little step towards towards what I'd really like to do, which is to 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 have a presence, a theater presence in in New York, and, and, and you know, get stuff done. I was going to ask you because um, you mentioned Thomas Jefferson. Um, a bit is there, is there something about that time period or that that particular person? I mean, you know, he's brilliant. Uh, uh, yeah. That that attra that attracts you. Oh yeah. Well, I read all the books I could read. Uh, Ant uh, Antoinette Gordon Reed, uh, who wrote uh, the the Pulitzer Prize winning The Hemingses of Monticello, and she wrote another number of books about Thomas Jefferson. And her scholarship is absolutely exquisite and and irrefutable. So. And she's also, she's not only an historian, she teaches at Harvard, but she's also, she teaches law. She's, she's so we get this very legal, uh, detailed description from the original letters of what, what it must have been like to be uh, a slave on Jefferson's plantation. And also what he, how he treated his daughter and how he treated his wife. And- uh, Who were half sisters, get, right? And on all the all the sisters and half sisters and and step and children that he that he uh, uh, fired <laughs> that he sired in the slave quarters and it you don't you it it's just it's a it's the American tragedy you can see where he was fairly idealistic maybe in his early thirties and then he owned, he started owning slaves and he started. Uh, being greedy and powerful, and all of that disappeared. Um, yeah, it's, it's it's a rather. I mean, you know, we have our founding fathers, and of course, they wouldn't be in America without them. 
But of course, you have to, you know, along with the good, that's the thing about American history. It's not all one dimensional. Everyone's a good guy. But you have to embrace the fact that they did have slaves and, you know, they did take certain things out of the Constitution. Uh, you know, all men are created equal. Well, not really, you know, all not really, no. white men. <laughs> forget about the Native Americans and forget about the black folks. Um, and women, just forget about And women, women. yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, but it's all history, and you're right. And the more these stories are told in its proper way, in its true way, um, the more we can be informed as as far as what's really, you know, what's really, really going on. The more we can change, and we have to change the world. We have to change America. We have to change. We have to educate people correctly. And we have to change how the um, investment in white supremacy, which is going to destroy the democracy if we don't stop it if we don't somehow well and we've always i mean that's the thing the nation has always been in transition it has always been changing so it's not like you know those people who say they want it to go back to the way it used to be it's like there is no such thing (laughs) even then it was changing from what it was when the railroad started everybody was like oh my god what is this (laughs) you know it's always been changing yeah and i think technology has a lot to do with it the more information flows freely then you know the more we have knowledge and of course the more we throw away those old things you know there's retro america folks want things back in these supposedly good old days and then there's metro america folks want to move forward and america's always been that way well and there's also these moments like when we mentioned the julian theater earlier and i that's where i met chuck polly was at the the patrol neighborhood house um at the time, I was a hungry young actor searching for something to do. There were lots of people. There was lots of energy. I remember Valina Brown uh, was around oh, that's back right. then. I remember I still have the uh, the uh, the flyer for the um, the what do you call it program for um, a new musical that got done there. Um, you know, everybody was trying and doing their best. We look back at it now, and I can't help but be a little nostalgic about it. I really enjoyed that. But at the time I was like, dude, what is it gonna take for me to get to the next level? What do I need to do? And so, you know, people have this way of looking back and going, oh, that was all wonderful. It was what it was. And if you enjoyed it, that's great. But, you know, going back to recreate that, maybe right now we're living through this incredibly great time. And all we're knowing is, wow, lots of people are dying and it's been a really freaky year. And that's what's got our bandwidth. But so far, it's been a beautiful summer. And it's insane to not go, wow, this is incredible. Exactly. And, you know, all we can do is what we can do within our time. And, um, you know, and I, I, well, you know, it's with with COVID-19, you know, it's it's a brutal reality to change what you've always done. But in the change, you can create new things. I mean, maybe Zoom and just, you know, doing things digitally can change how theater is. I mean, I see it in Tabard Theater, you know, they're bringing the cameras in, they're keeping the cameras in, even as they're bringing people on the stage and people can actually, so, you know, you have that marriage, that interaction. So, you know, change is bound to happen. Yeah, I just think it's a wonderful, theater is going to be virtual as well as in person. Uh, San Francisco Playhouse is doing virtual as well as in person uh, Mm -hmm. uh, shows. It's going to change theater for the better, and it's going to make it more accessible to everybody. That ain't a bad thing. Yeah, and hopefully more money for the actors. Go ahead, Norman. (laughs) Well, no, all I was going to add is um, that hybrid is has been coming a long time, and it really was the old days. They were trying to protect those boundaries, 
between film and stage and TV and film and oh, all of that true. has just been blown out of the water. And I think yeah. as we go forward, it's going to be the smart organizations that go, there's no reason we can't bring both of these together. Exactly. There's something, well, because TV has been doing it forever. The live studio audience. Right. Now that's, that's right. what we're doing to theater. We're saying you are our live studio, our <laughs> studio audience and we're also broadcasting this. Yeah, no, it's it's a whole new world. Talk to you live in front of a live stu studio audience. Yeah, I remember that. All righty, uh, I don't want to take too much of our time. It's already over an hour. Uh, shout oh. outs, birthdays. <laughs> <laughs> um, it is my steps, stepsister. My sister-in-law's birthday is coming up this week. I'm really happy about that. Uh, today is Natasha Young, um, who is, I met her as a very young woman, and that was a long time ago, so, but she's uh, down in LA now, and she actually has a little website, um, Natasha Young, with an E on the end, where she promotes Black art, which has been pretty amazing, but I met her as a young actor uh, when Oakland Public Theater was first getting started. Uh, Marissa Wanless is um, somebody who she and Ann Kabari uh, started the Utopia Theater. I guess she was she brought in was brought in and became the executive director of the Utopia Theater, artistic director of the Utopia Theater. Um, she has since moved back east. She and her husband and their new baby uh, just after we did As You Like It a couple of summers ago, and she is in SF Shakes Pericles right now. So, um, and I guess she's doing that remotely. I. I'm curious how that's coming off, but when I saw her name in the list, I was so thrilled. Tommy Shepard is somebody, I actually was working with um, Anne, Anna Luera, uh, Anna Maria Luera, is that right? Yes. Um, she um, and I were doing shows with Word for Word for many years, we kept doing um, House on Mango Street and Tommy was her boyfriend. And then it turned out they were, really serious and they got married and now they have a kid and now he's been doing this project uh, the abc rockers is a project that he's been doing and they actually got nominated for a grammy last year oh. was, okay. uh, michael seth orland is somebody i went to high school with he's also the brother of a dear friend of mine jenny orland his birthday is coming up this week we did musicals in high school he has gone on to become a major piano player of new music and teaches at cal uh, Vicky Kagawan is an um, actress I met from the North Bay, wonderful actress. I can never get enough of working with her. Uh, Tim Araneta is somebody I met through the improv scene here, and then he went on to work. I believe it's Lawrence, it's either Lawrence Labs or it's, um, oh God, Chabot, um, Space and Science. He is the educational outreach person for them. Um, I can never remember which organization it is, but I'm like, wow, improviser doing that. He was always the sweetest guy. He seemed a little bit like uh, Mr. Rogers <laughs> with a great sense of humor. Uh, James Paul Gregory is an actor who I don't think I've ever worked with, but somehow our paths keep circling each other. Anne Hickling, I always like to get a shout out to those people who support theater. And she's been a big booster of area theater, particularly when I'm involved, which makes me happy. Uh, Stanley Spanger, uh, somebody I, as another person who we've never actually worked together, but we've been circling each other forever. He's been very big in Bay Area theater. Um, I think I first met him through Subterranean Shakes, and he's gone on to do other things. Oh, wow. Subterranean Shakes. Wow. Yeah, I know. Going back. Uh, Kim Merrick, uh, another 
tech guy. We did, we haven't had a tech guy on for a while. I was yeah, thinking not since uh, Greg. <laughs> yeah, so Kim Myrick, Myrick is a um, tech guy who does a lot with the African American Shakespeare Company and the Burial Clay Theater in the Western Edition in San Francisco. Jean Emery Johnstone is a woman who I got to do. I got to play the lead in Love's Labor's Lost, and she was my love. And that is, I think it's like the fifth largest line load in all of Shakespeare. I had to work my butt off, so I needed a great scene partner, and I had one. Uh, John Strain is somebody I went to San Francisco State with, and I'm not sure if he does theater anymore. I don't, I looked, I checked peeked at his page just to kind of see. I didn't look like he did. And then the last one I have is Sam Sapota, um, who as an Asian American actor. Those are the birthdays I've got coming up this week. And I've got four, uh, so I'll be real quick. Uh, actually, my aunt Iris Johnson. Um, I don't know if you ever had a crush on your aunt, <laughs> but I most certainly did. And uh, she's five years older than I am and she still looks just fantastic. Uh, happy birthday, my aunt Iris. Uh, you mentioned Marissa Wanless, and that was episode 93 of the Yay. So we had her on. So Yay! you should get that out. Um, on the 19th, which is uh, two days from now, Lori Goff, uh, I'm always mentioning, I went to Duke Allen School of the Arts, and uh, she was one who graduated along with me. She is uh, Black and Jewish. And so uh, she's doing wow. great work on the East There's Coast. A combo. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Happy birthday, Lori. Also on the 19th, Glenda Solis. We did The Marriage of Benton Boone. I'm looking at the, uh, the artwork right there. And uh, she's a fantastic, as she's a actress and also she's a cellist, cello. Wow. So um, happy birthday to her. Um, Stephen Collins, uh, he and I, yeah, Stephen, I'm sure you know Stephen. Yeah, of course, yeah. <laughs> uh, he's done a lot of work at the Playwright Center for San Francisco, and I'm sure he's done a bunch of other oh. things. His birthday is July the 21st. We got to get him on as well. Okay. I think the last thing That's I great. did, Last year, we did a Zoom reading of Neighborhood Watch, which uh, is written huh. by um, one of the guys at the Playwright Center. Uh, but in any case, that's, that's the last time Stephen and I worked together. And the last person I have is Ashley Rockwood Melger, and we did Bat Boy together. Uh, I was the stage manager, and she was on stage, and that was back. That was directed by James Iglehart at the um, Ray of Light Theater. And I'm not sure what she's doing these days, but she was an excellent president on stage. So that's that uh, shows. Um, and yeah, Madeline, if there's anything you want to shout out, feel free. Uh, the, I don't have a lot for shows. Uh, I want to mention that San Francisco Shakespeare's uh, Pericles is starting episode two. So um, I just put that in the chat, I think. Did okay, I, hit picture? I did. Okay. Um, and then uh, the other thing I was looking up is Playground is actually doing, and I maybe it's just an in-house survey they're doing, but I'm gonna put it out there anyway, that people, if you wanna get in touch with Playground, they're just trying to get a sense of how close people are to coming back. Like, and I'll be honest, as a director, I'm not worried about it at all because, you know, unless I go to the show, I'm not gonna be in a room full of people I don't know, not my problem. I just have to deal with the actors. So I'm like, that's where I put my request is what I would like from my actors. but. They've got a survey. So, Madeline, you're probably on the playground. Uh, yeah, I'm going to fill that yeah. out. I'm <laughs> so I just want to make sure yeah. that I encourage people to, to go ahead and give that feedback so that we can see how close we are. Because, God, at Berkeley Rep, please, there's so much space. We don't have to worry about being crammed in. We can actually space people out and they can be comfortable. And it would be nice to be in a theater seeing actors again. So, 
Yeah, and it'll be great for actors to actually be on stage and actually look at an audience, even if it's, you know, um, people placed in um, particular places. So, yeah, please uh, fill out that um, questionnaire so that Jen Kleiman and company can know, can get a, a good read on how people are feeling uh, and coming back, coming back in. Uh, there are a couple of things that I want to uh, push. Um, Plethos Productions is doing Elephant and Piggy are in a play. Uh, they opened on the 10th and they close tomorrow. So uh, that's a, a cool thing for kids. Uh, this is specifically exclusively for kids. Mm -hmm. And uh, I hear it's a lot of fun, so you should check that out. Uh, they have a Facebook link, so we'll have the link on there if you want to uh, see the show, which is streaming. The Playwright Center for San Francisco, they have their playoffs. Uh, so that'll be happening July. It, uh, it began the 11th. It uh, continues again on the 18th tomorrow, and then on the 25th. And it's one of those uh, you have budding playwrights writing 10-minute um, plays, and then the audience can vote on what they like the best, and then the best will appear on the 25th. Kimberly Ridgway is in one, in one of the plays. Lynn Aylward, and we've had her on, a great playwright, she has written one play, a play called Devil in Disguise. So we'll have the uh, link there, and you can click on the link to uh, check I that have, out. I have a play in it. In the, in the oh, movie. there you go. Yeah, <laughs> in Sunday yeah. afternoon, yeah. Four o'clock tomorrow. Uh, that's uh, my little 79 North about the bus. My favorite bus. Oh, that play. In. I love yeah. that play. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, Thank awesome. You. The benefits of being on the selection committee for Playground is I get to read these things <laughs> and then I have to fight for them. And then you go, okay. Okay. Well, <laughs> I, I gave it who are your actors, Madeline? Macklin, who are your who are your actors? I don't know. Oh, okay. Ah. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I, I will check it out. So if you want to check it out, it'll be tomorrow and then the twenty fifth. If you make the cut, I'm sure you'll make the cut. Um, <laughs> Shakes Pod. Um, we talked about Tynus and Dronus. I don't think that's around anymore. But Richard the Third will be coming around the corner. That'll be August twenty eighth. We've been pushing that. Lamont oh. Rigel will be uh, the Bard. Richard the Third. And Cynthia Lagodzinski will be the Duchess of York, so you got to check that out. Also, um, our wonderful consulting producer, Mallory Samara, is producing a podcast. I've been pr pushing that on KCBS Radio. It's called Connect the Dots, a weekly news podcast hosted by WCBS News Radio. Uh, Linda Lopez, is, I think, is actually presiding over it. So check out Connect the Dots on any podcast app. So check that out. Also, um, we've had on the show Bridget, Bridget Dutta-Portman who uh, is a fantastic playwright. I think the last time I, I was involved with Playwright Center, she wrote a play called Mr. The Bear and it just took my heart away. It was just so, oh. so precious. But in any case, she has gotten into writing books. She has a children's book out and it's called The Twin Stars. It's a young adult science fiction fantasy novel that deals with mental health themes. So check that out. Uh, there's a link on Amazon. You can buy the book. So I'm always interested in what are, you know, the people who have been on the show, what are they doing now? Um, speaking of which, the last thing I'll push, Priya Gayadeen, we've talked about her. She is um, heavily involved in comedy and she has a show that'll be going on. I actually missed the, hold on for a second. Let me pull it up again. The Modesto, um, I've got it on my, thing here actually I'll, I'll just <laughs> show you right here but um god it's it is so um i'll have a link to it but basically there's a show going on at the modesto i think it's called uh we we own the laughs floor oh here it is floor daily reception hall which is in modesto california it'll be july the 30th 
and it'll be a comedy show. And she's involved in that. She's been doing a bunch of stuff. Uh, I swear, ever since uh, she was Velvet in our show, Foreman in Paris, she's just taken off and has, um, you know, has used uh, Plethos to spring on to do bigger and better things. So uh, we'll have the link to there so you can check out that comedy show if you're in Modesto on July the 30th. That is it. Um, Madeline, did you have a good time today? I had a great time. It's so fun talking to you and Norman. You guys are so great. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you for the compliment. And um, as always, we are on um, YouTube. I uh, don't know if we'll always be on YouTube. We're trying to get people get back into the studio because we have such a great time talking live. But we'll see you know, what we'll do in the future. But in any case, we're on YouTube as of right now. So please like and subscribe. Give us a thumbs up. Tell us in the comment section what you like and what you don't like. Any issues that you want us to talk about, we'll talk about it. Uh, if you're listening to us on the traditional podcast app, we're on all podcast apps. If you have an iPhone or an iPad, we have that. we're on that purple um, um, podcast app that you can click on to. If you're an iCloud, if, you're a, if you are a Android, Android user, thank you, <laughs> then uh, click on sound, the SoundCloud app or just go on soundcloud.com and you'll find us. The Yay was created by theater people for theater people. If you have a show you want to advertise or if you just want to advertise yourself, let us know. We have a Twitter feed that is the Yay 3. Also, I'm at Red Space Clay. And I'm at Hoosier Hoosier. Madeline, do you have uh, any social media that people can follow you on? Well, I'm on Facebook and I'm on at Mad Pachoni on Twitter. So, you know. At Mad Pachoni, I'm going to write that down. Yeah. <laughs> All right, at Mad Pachoni. Uh, yeah, if you're looking for a fantastic uh, playwright, um, uh, you you know you can't go wrong with Madeline. She has some wonderful plays, especially a lot of, uh, lot of wonderful one act plays. And also, we should be pushing your book, um, which is Piercings, by uh, Next uh, Stage Press. And I imagine, do you think it'll be on Amazon? I'm sure you're it'll, still in the producer. It'll be on Amazon. Uh, publishing date probably in January. Okay, uh, let us know. Yeah, you know, the A will, will still be around, so we'll we'll push it, and we want people to uh, to buy and to support uh, local local theater and also the uh, local playwrights and our local talent here. That is it. It's a wonderful day. Let's all get out and have a wonderful time. And as Norman and I always say, we got to find a better, better sign-off. Sign <laughs> and we, and we are out. <laughs> <laughs>